this was before everyone had a smartphone, but everyone just about had, had a phone. And so uh, President Bush was really frustrated with the way that, that everything transpired and, and the emergency system worked. And so that was the beginning of uh, what's called the, Fe the, uh, the Federal Emergency Management Agency, and, and, or that's, that, was, that was the beginning of them. But, but it, it prompted President Bush to create this, uh, this sort of mechanism that the president can use to send uh, texts now, as, as we receive them, to everyone's cell phone. And that's not always, it's not always the president doing it, but it's, it's taken the form of, you know, bad weather alerts. You get those on your phone or amber alerts. But buried in that is this, this if, if something really happened, if we had some kind of catastrophic event and he wanted to send something out, he, he could do that. That technology exists. And it's written into that that he could, he could push a button. Ironically, uh, if, if, you're on, if you're talking to someone on the phone and, and uh, he, he pushes some kind of message out to all the phones, you won't receive it until after you hang up. So the apocalypse can wait till your phone calls over. But I even find it more interesting now that as that technology has evolved and, and our phones have gotten more advanced, uh, you can actually, on your phone, you can turn off those alerts. So it doesn't matter how bad of an emergency the president deems it. If you turn off your alerts, you won't receive them. All you have to do, and I, I didn't know this, but all you have to do is go to your notifications and you slide down. And there's a section on, on most phones that says government alerts. And, and on most of them, there's two types. There's the Ember Alerts, and then there's just general emergency alerts. But it sort of begs the question, doesn't it? Well, if it's really a big deal, if it's really an emergency, why do I want to disable those alerts on my phone? Why would you want to do that? Well, if you've ever been sitting in the sanctuary and, and everyone received them... Uh, you might understand why. We'd receive an Amber Alert. I remember one church service, that there was an Amber Alert that went out, and it was, I don't even, it wasn't even anywhere near here. I think it was somewhere in Dallas. And, and you don't ever get those alerts at the same time, do you? But Michelle and I have the same phone carrier, but sometimes still those alerts come three to four minutes apart. And so someone over here would get one, someone over here would get one, someone over here would get one, someone over here would get one. And even if your phone's on silent, if you haven't disabled those alerts, you still receive them, and they're loud. And, and they're jarring, and, and, and you look at it and you think, oh, it's an Amber Alert for Dallas, Texas. I don't live in Dallas, Texas. In fact, I'm not sure that since, since I've had a phone that's had those capabilities that I've received an Amber Alert for anywhere near where I live. I've received them for Dallas. I've received them as far away as, as Abilene. But I know I've never received one for Gatesville. I don't think I've ever received one for, for Waco or Temple or Colina or any place like that that's actually close to us. And so... They're loud and they're jarring, but then on the other hand, they're, they're not always that useful, are they? And when you think of the emergency alerts that are usually bad weather alerts, when you think about all the ways that we have of, of, of watching the weather or receiving weather information, whether it's from uh, a weather app that you use. Now, some of us use the, the local news station's weather app. You might use the Weather Channel app. You might just use Facebook you know, and look on, on the news channel's website, or you might actually just watch... The old news, probably not, huh? Now, some of you still actually watch the news. You actually watch the weather. And so by the time those emergency alerts get to your phone, well, you already know if it's if there's going to be a thunderstorm or if there's going to be a tornado or, or whatever the bad weather situation might be. And so really, when it gets down to it, a large part of those alerts to us 
have not been that useful. They haven't been that useful to me. Well, it doesn't mean that one day the president might think of something that's useful that I need to know. But my experience has told me that that hasn't happened yet. And so I've flipped the emergency messages off on my phone. I've kept the Amber Alerts on there just in case, you know. Because if it was my kid, I would want someone to get Amber Alerts. I've kept those on. But I've turned the emergency messages off on my phone. And I think that's kind of what has happened. As, as we're going through this series in 1 Samuel, I think that is what, was what had happened to, to the time that the Bible calls, calls in, in, in the Judges. Uh, I'll, I'll read our, our text in a moment, but, but it says in, in verse 1 that the word of God, uh, the word of the Lord was rare in those days. And, and it wasn't because God didn't have anything to say. On the contrary, it was God's people that had decided sort of to, to disable his, his alerts, disable the visions that he gave to, to special people. The book of Judges says over and over again that the people of God did what was right. In their own eyes. And it is that period that enters into 1 Samuel where we're at. Last week we talked about how the sons of Eli the priest really fit that mold as they profaned the, the sacrifices. It was their job to offer sacrifices. That was their only job. And, and they, messed, they messed that up on behalf of the people. And so if God should speak anywhere in all of Israel, it should be where they're at. It should be in the house of the Lord at Shiloh where Samuel has been given to serve out all of his days. But in the same way that we kind of decide we don't need those warnings on our phones, the people that Samuel associated with, the, the priests, had sort of short-circuited God and what God was doing or what God could have been doing in their midst. I'm going to read 1 Samuel chapter 3. And, and if you want to pick up with me, you can open your Bible to 1 Samuel 3. I'm going to read verses 1 to 21. And the text will be on your screen. It says, the boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. One night, Eli, whose eyes were becoming so weak that he could barely see, was lying down in his usual place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the house of the Lord where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel. Samuel answered, here I am. And he ran to Eli and said, here I am, you called me. But Eli said, I did not call, go back and lie down. So he went and lay down. Again, the Lord called Samuel, and Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me. My son Eli said, I did not call, go back and lie down. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. The word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. A third time the Lord called Samuel, and Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me. Then Eli realized that the Lord was calling the boy. So Eli told Samuel, go and lie down. And if he calls you, say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. The Lord came and stood there calling. Is it other times? Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel said, speak, for your servant is listening. And the Lord said to Samuel, see, I'm about to do something in Israel that will make the ears of everyone who hears about it. Tingle. At that time, I will carry out against Eli everything I spoke against his family from beginning to end. For I told him that I would judge his family forever because of the sin he knew about. His sons blasphemed God, then he failed to restrain them. Therefore, I swore to the house of Eli, 
The guilt of Eli's house will never be atoned for by sacrifice or offering. Samuel lay down until morning and then opened the doors of the house of the Lord. He was afraid to tell Eli the vision, but Eli called him and said, Samuel, my son. Samuel answered, Here I am. What was it he said to you? Eli asked. Do not hide it from me. May God deal with you, be it ever so severely, if you hide from me anything he told you. So Samuel told him everything, hiding nothing from him. Then Eli said, He is the Lord. Let him do what is good in his eyes. The Lord was with Samuel as he grew up, and he let none of Samuel's words fall to the ground. And all of Israel from Dan to Beersheba recognized that Samuel was attested as a prophet of the Lord. The Lord continued to appear at Shiloh, and there he revealed himself to Samuel through his word. So Samuel hears from God in a most unique way. There's the question for us, what does hearing from God involve? And I don't think most of us would decide that we don't need to hear from God in the way that we decide we might not want to hear a message on our phone. Um, but I, I kind of know how it is, especially if you've gone to church for a while. Uh, I, I don't think you would say, well, I don't need to hear from God. But you might think if you've gone to Sunday school and, and, and you've learned some of the same things that we learned in Sunday school. If, if you've read a book here or a book there about being a Christian or about being a disciple, you filled in the blanks on all of Matt's sermon, uh, sermon outlines and, and even people before Matt. And, and, and you've, you've gotten all the answers. You might get to a point where you think, I, don't, I know that I don't. You know, I know that I need to hear from God, but I think maybe I've heard everything that there is to hear. It's kind of one thing to think about Samuel, isn't it? This young boy that has this whole life ahead of him, and, and he's got all these things that he's, he's wondering about, and, and, and he has this call to be a prophet. It's one thing to think about Samuel hearing from God, but it's another thing to think about someone that's just in the middle of the everyday grind, isn't it? Trying to, to go from one day to the next. And, and you've kind of made some of the big decisions in your life that Samuel made when he was a boy. And it's just put you kind of, you know, you're kind of living that out. Or, or maybe you're on the other side of that in retirement. And you think, well, I don't, I don't know if there's anything left to hear. But something interesting happens in our text. But as a result of what Samuel hears, it tells us that the word of God came to all Israel. Whether they heard it in the same way Samuel did or not was not really the point. But they, because of what God did through Samuel, they, they heard that same message. And so it shows us that there's always, there's always something to hear from God. No one's exempt from it, even if we may hear it in different ways and in different times. And it may have different implications for us. And so we all need to know what it involves. And I think the first thing we draw from the text is that hearing God may involve as it did for Samuel, it may involve seeking help in hearing. It may involve seeking help in hearing God through or from somebody else. You know, the time I've come to Eastwood, some of you started using the little earpiece to hear during the sermon. I see Johnny's got one. Larry's got one that keeps him awake, doesn't it? Uh, uh, and when I first came out, no one really used them. I remember they just kind of sat back there. See, what I think has happened is that I've proved myself to be such a great preacher that, that many of you said, well, you know, I'm missing some of that. And when everyone's talking about what a great sermon it is, I don't want to miss out on that. And so you've been prompted to go and get those little earpieces. That's what's happened, right? Correct. <laughs> Whether that's happened or not, I, I don't know. But 
you know, it does take, probably on your part, it takes a little admission to say, well, maybe I can't hear like I used to. Or maybe it's my fault. Maybe the preacher doesn't speak loud enough. But, but you have to take initiative and go and put that little thing on your ear. And, and I admit, you know, at least, at least by doing that, even if you don't like everything that you hear, it kind of keeps you engaged. It kind of forces you to, to hear what's going on. And, and you could just sort of sit there. You could just say, well, you know, I'm here and... and you know, it might even be easier to take a nap without that thing in my ear. But you take the initiative and, and you go and, and, and you get help. And you put it in your ear. And that's a small thing. But even that can kind of be a little difficult. Now, I think the story of Samuel hearing God's call it to us, as I said, it's sort of strange, isn't it? To put ourselves in his shoes because we're, we're not Samuel. And we're not in a situation exactly like he was. But what happened to him was in keeping with what was sort of normal for special people in the Bible, special prophets called of God with, with a special calling on their life. As, as we've read, as a church maybe in the Old Testament, you remember some of the great callings. Maybe you've thought about Moses or, or Jeremiah and, and the big visions that they received when they were called of God. And, and this is sort of a similar thing that's happening to Samuel. And so it was, it was, a, it was a unique event but it was common among people that it happened to. It's sort of like when you go to the doctor and the doctor says, well, the bad news is you have this really rare and strange disease that hardly anybody gets. But the good news is people that have that, of the people that have that, well, you kind of have a common thing. It's common among the people that have this rare thing, right? So it's sort of an uncommon commonality for Samuel. And, and, and his experience in this uncommon or common experience, it happened, happened three times. Because in all good stories, things have to happen three times, right? That's sort of the punchline. And, and, and both he and Eli are, are, are clueless at first. Eli thinks that, that he's just hearing things. He didn't think that there's anything. And, and Samuel thinks Eli is calling him. And, and this happens until finally Eli recognizes what's going on. And in verse 9, he says, go and lie down. It's on your screen if he calls you. And say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. And so Samuel went and did it. Now this is Eli's moment of redemption, isn't it? In spite of what we've read about him in previous Sundays when he really messed up and he didn't understand that, that Hannah was praying and, and he allowed his sons, as we read in this text, to, to just do horrible things. This is his one moment in Scripture where he gets something right. And Samuel receives help from this guy. And really, he's, he's of all the characters to help Samuel, he's the one that is probably most unlikely. Now, again, in our Baptist tradition, we value what we call the priesthood of the believer. No one's going to tell me what God says. I can read it in the Bible for myself, right? And, and that's true. We don't need someone else to tell us to be God for us on our behalf. But to be fair, to be fair, we should have someone, maybe a group, but at least someone that can, that can sort of speak God's truth into our lives. And, and that we allow that permission to do so. And, and we receive help in that way. I, I remember I, I was a, a youth intern at, at my home church one summer. And there was a teenager there who God had told him, so he told me, God had told him that, that he and this other girl needed to date. God had told him that. And, and all you really had to do was to look at him and look at the girl and think, well, y'all don't really go together. 
They, they weren't the same kind of people. They didn't have the same personalities. They didn't enjoy doing the same things. But God had told them. And, and I tried to be that person that could sort of speak God's truth into his life and say, well, I'm not, I'm not sure you heard him right. Especially since he didn't tell her that, you know. I'm not sure you heard him correctly. But he didn't want to receive that. And he was just frustrated all summer because, well, he was the only person that heard God say that. I think sometimes... Seek, seeking help in hearing God means being willing to hear things that we do not want to hear. And that's why we have to have someone that can say that to us. Say that in, in, in confidence and in honesty, but also in love. And if you don't have someone like that, I hope that you would, you would seek them out. And it doesn't have to be the preacher. It doesn't have to be me. It doesn't even have to be a Sunday school teacher. But it should be someone. And I think the next step if we, if we can seek help in hearing God, I think the next step when we do hear God is being honest about what we've heard or what we are hearing. You know, I'm not usually one that gives God ultimatums. I don't like doing that. Uh, I don't put out my proverbial fleece uh, like Gideon did very often. But I did one time, and I was a teenager, and I feel like God slapped me upside the head for it. Maybe that's why I don't do it anymore. But I was... Uh, I was dating a girl during the summer of my sophomore year in high school. The story starts out like that. You know, it's great, huh? I was, I was dating this girl, and, and uh, she was a great person. She was a great girl. The problem was we weren't supposed to be together. We were very different. Uh, but she was the first person that I had dated that really shared my convictions about God and faith. But that was about all she shared with me. There wasn't much else. And, and so it was difficult for me because, because I liked that part of the relationship, but there wasn't much else that, that I liked. Uh, but, but I'd known, we'd, we'd been together for about a year, and I'd known that it was just, it was, it was getting close to, to time, you know, to, to end that relationship. And so I'm, I'm on my way to her house to, to pick her up. And so I make this deal with God. You ever made a deal with God? I said, God, if, if, if you want us to stay together, would you have her wear the same exact shirt that I'm wearing. And, and I was really playing a game with God because the shirt I was wearing was a, was a T-shirt that we had both received at a, a youth event. And, and she wore that shirt more than any other shirt that I'd seen her wear. And so it was kind of like, I'm going to help you out a little bit, God. You know, I'm giving you an opening. And, and, and I'm sort of playing this little game where the odds are a little bit better in my favor as if, you know, there was, there was nothing. And so... Uh, I get to the door. I knock on the door. She comes to the door. She's not wearing the shirt. Well, fa fair enough. Okay, I, that was clear. I knew what I needed to do. And then she looks at me, and she looks at the shirt that I'm wearing, and she says, you know what? I was just wearing that shirt, and, and I don't know why. I decided to change. And I think God was just sort of rubbing my nose in it at that point. <laughs> But then it worked out okay because uh, I went back to college and, and I met this girl at church and uh, she made some cookies for me and I invited her out to see Mex to eat Mexican food. We went to go see a dumb movie called Napoleon Dynamite and, and the rest is sort of history. So God kind of knew what he was doing it and it worked out. Now Samuel's experience with God was a little less contrived. He's not trying to play a game. He's not even expecting to hear anything from God. The text tells us that as far as he knows, he doesn't really know God. And it's talking about in that intimate way that Adam and Eve knew each other. He doesn't know God in, in that way. He never had an encounter with him. 
But Eli tells him to say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. And, and he does. And, and, and when he hears what he's told to say, gosh, would have been the last thing that he probably would have wanted to relate to his, his sort of priestly mentor, his friend. But it's due that the reason that he's told to share this message that God is going to uh, unleash his judgment on Eli's family. It's not just because Eli had bad kids. Remember last week we talked about how, you know, sometimes that there's bad kids and we kind of automatically want to blame the parents. And I don't think God is looking at Eli and saying it's your fault because you have bad kids. What he's saying is that it's your fault for not doing anything about what your kids have been doing. Right. And, and, and it's a tough word to share. It's, it's very difficult because because the penalty for prophetic sacrifices in, in Eli's day was death. And so, yeah, that is a difficult thing for him to know. It puts him in a tough position. But Eli didn't really need God to tell him that. He knew that. And, and so uh, God basically tells Samuel to tell him that, that you're going to bear the consequences of, of your, the sins of your son and your negligence. And I think if, if there's anything harder today, the takeaway of that for Christians, that we have, if, there, if there's anything harder than, than seeking help in hearing God, I think it's being honest with one another sometimes. Especially if we believe that, that God is leading us or guiding us or, or maybe leading another person a certain way. It's difficult to share that sometimes. We, we joke sometimes about churches that literally fight about the color of the carpet. But, but I think stuff like that happens in churches when, when people aren't honest with one another. Whether it's something about something small or, or, or whatever, but, but those issues really aren't the issue. It's, it's someone's feelings that got hurt years ago about something that may not have anything to do with what's going on now. It's, it's some instance when we took offense or personalities rubbed another the wrong way. And, and rather than being honest, rather than saying, I, I feel like God wants me to make amends or I feel like God wants me to, to share this with you. Instead of doing that, we, we be quiet or we put on our happy face or we ignore it and... And, and we put on a fake smile, and then all of it sort of bubbles to the surface. And, and in the same way that, that in Eli's family, his, his dishonesty is so troubled. I think churches sometimes so trouble, and Christians so trouble in their families for themselves when they aren't willing to be honest. Now, there's a price for honesty, isn't there? I saw a cartoon this past week of the preacher, and the preacher's preaching this message, and he has suitcases packed and boxes on one side with all the books from his office. And in the back of him, you see a window with a, with a taxi waiting for him. You know, it's clear that he's leaving his job. And, and the caption that, that encompasses what he's saying, he steps up to the pulpit and he says, I'm about to preach a sermon that I've always wanted to preach. Of course, he was willing to pay the, the price for that. He knew he would be gone. There's a price for honesty. But being honest about what God's, God tells us has consequences. And, and I think that leads us to the last thing is that, it, is that when we're honest, you know, if, if, if we can be honest with what we've heard about God, then the last part is we have to be willing to live with what we've received from God. And, and that takes, you know, forever. That's our whole life, isn't it? I had a friend that was, that was going through, uh, during seminary, what's called CPE. Uh, and he's training basically to be a hospital chaplain. And he was talking with me about this, and I guess I've known this existed, but I didn't really have a term for it. But this idea of, of mutual pretense. 
And, and it happens to people that have been in the hospital uh, and, and things are not looking good. And, and, and most likely things are not going to be good. Uh, but this idea of mutual pretense where, where the family and the friends come in and, and they know that this person is, is going to pass away most likely, but they don't talk about it. And even the nurses and, and the doctors that come in, they'll, instead of talking about really what the issue is, they'll talk about, well, when you get out of the hospital or, or when you're better, when you're, you're feeling good and things are, are back to normal, knowing full well that that's not going to happen. It's, they're, they're, they're not talking about it, even though everybody knows it's really going to happen. But it's a survival mechanism. And people do that because they don't want to talk about it. They don't want to deal with it. They just want to sort of survive and get by. But gosh, hearing from God, living a life that strives to hear what God wants for us isn't just about surviving. It's not about just getting by. It's about taking in His truth even when it's hard and being willing to live with it. And I think before anyone else, Samuel would have had to learn to live with his call and what that meant. Because as he prophesies this, this truth that's been dropped on him, it means that ultimately he is going to take the place of Eli. He's going to be the guy. He's going to be the person that all of Israel looks to for, for discernment and, and, and spirituality. He's, and it's not that he campaigned for this position. He didn't decide that that's who I want to be. He didn't you know, try and get elected for it. But it's the place that he finds himself in. And, and that's, that's quite a bit to get used to all of a sudden. He's been the assistant. He's just been the guy that's been dropped off at the temple for, by, by his mom. And he's going to live out his day there and, 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 and maybe sweep up a little bit. Be the janitor. But he's about to be the guy that's in charge. And as hard as it would have been to tell his mentor of God's judgment, he steps up to live what he's heard from God. And so we read the verses on the screen, it says the Lord was with Samuel as he grew up and he let none of Samuel's words fall to the ground. And all Israel from Dan to Beersheba recognized that Samuel was attested as a prophet to the Lord. And so not only does he have to live with what he heard from the Lord, all of Israel came to this understanding, came to this recognition that what he said was true. And if you're like me, there is a tendency as we read the story in Scripture to sort of place yourself outside of it. Because as we've said, you're, you're not Samuel. You're not a, a prophet, most likely. And even though we have the Holy Spirit that lives within us, probably none of us, maybe one or two of us, but probably none of us have, have verbally heard God say something to us. But that doesn't mean that God doesn't communicate with you when you live uh, when you live in a way that, that, Sam, that Samuel's told to live, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Whether that is through other people or whether that is through situations. When we seek help in hearing from God and we're honest about what we've heard, then, then we can live a life, even if it's hard, trying to respond as, as best that we can. I think that God speaks to us in all, in all kinds of ways. And sometimes those ways are, are just very ordinary. I heard someone once say, Kind of tongue-in-cheek. If you want to hear God speak out loud, open your Bible and start, start saying what you read. Start reading it out loud. And you'll literally hear God speak. And, and, and that's a little tongue-in-cheek. But, but, but I get what they're saying. Is, is that we all want to hear this, this voice from God. But God has spoken to us. He's given us revelation here. And it's, it's for us to read. And that doesn't mean God will never say anything else or, or, or never speak to us verbally, but most of the time, I don't think it'll be booming down from the thundercloud. 
And when you get to heaven, I don't think God is going to say, why didn't you hear me better? I don't think that's what God is going to ask us. What I think he might ask is, did you do your best? Did you do your best with what you did here? Did you strive to hear me? And even in the moments when it might have been muddled, did you, did you try your best to do what you could with what you did here? I think there's some just practical action steps we can take from the passage. And, and the first thing is, if you don't have someone that can speak God's word in your life, then I hope you find somebody. Someone that you trust. Someone that is wise and someone that knows Scripture. And the second thing is, if there's something that you're not being honest about with God, kind of like I was as a sophomore in college, knowing that I needed to, to end something. I, I think often we, we kind of know in our hearts, especially if we're Christians, God, God, we know. But often we ignore what it is uh, that's important and we put and we shove it back and, and, and we're not honest about it. I think if we were just honest with ourselves, often we, we would find ourselves hearing God. A lot more clearly. What do you need to be honest about? And if you can't be honest, I think that'll help you live with God and, and, and the way He speaks and uh, how He's leading us and guiding us. Pray with me. Lord, we admit that sometimes we don't hear You. And, and then sometimes when we do hear You, it's, it's difficult. It's difficult to, to be obedient with, with the things that You tell us to do. And God, it is my desire that we would, we would strive for balance in that. That we would take the things that you provide us with, uh, the, the things that you speak through, the people, Scripture. And, and we would strive our best, God, to, to be obedient to you as you speak into our individual lives. And we thank you for your spirit that, that does lead us and guide us. And help us to be sensitive to that today. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you all.